Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. In times of trial, like our current coronavirus pandemic, one of the truths that most strengthens me is not just God's sovereignty, but God's compassion towards those who suffer. Though my mind may not be able to grasp the reason for God allowing this pandemic, my brain can grasp the overwhelming proof of God's compassionate nature in Scripture. This episode zooms in to view that evidence and, in so doing, seeks to empower us to lead the way in our homes and churches in expressing that same compassion to the hurting, frightened, needy people who are all around us. Welcome to season number one, episode number 21 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle, and today we complete our short series, Knowing God Helps Me Love Him More. Today's episode on Christ's compassion, however, doesn't just help me achieve the first part of my mission, loving God more. Today's episode on compassion addresses the other two parts of our mission as well. It gives us a crisp, clear target to copy as we seek to be like Christ, and it empowers and calls us to bring compassion into every sphere of our lives where we are to exercise dominion for Christ. So let's dig in. The Apostle John was Jesus' closest friend. John later realized that his friendship with Jesus not only let him get to know Jesus, it let him get to know God. John would later write, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, referring of course to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Whenever we wonder what God is really like, we need only look at Jesus. So here are some video clips of Jesus. Mark 1, verses 41 to 42. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. This incident reveals something to us about Jesus' heart. Jesus was filled with compassion. The Greek word for compassion is splanchnizomai. How's that for a word you always wanted to know about? Which means to be moved as to one's inwards, splanchna to be inwardly moved with compassion. We might say Jesus responded viscerally to the leper's plight. It was a gut-wrenching experience for him. Let's zoom in even more. Webster defines compassion as, quote, tender sorrow for one in distress or misery, along with an urgent desire to give aid. I can't speak for others, but this characteristic of Jesus powerfully draws me to him. No matter what the cause of my distress or misery, Jesus feels that pain as if it were a gut punch to him. And there's a lot of spiritual, emotional, and physical distress out there these days. 
For example, spiritual distress, not understanding why God allows so much suffering from COVID-19, or not understanding unanswered prayers, or not understanding why the gospel and Christianity don't seem to be prevailing in the world around us. When scripture talks so much about the kingdom spreading through the power of the resurrection, or the spiritual distress of failing Christ so often. And then there's the emotional distress brought on by singleness in this situation, or social distancing, being at home in cabin fever, by so much uncertainty about the future, or financial pressure from bills, we don't know where the money will come from to pay them, the fear of getting, or our loved ones, getting the the virus, or not doing what we were created to do, which is work. And then there's the physical distress caused by increasing physical frailty, physical aches and pains that we must live with, diseases including COVID-19 and possible death. Jesus is my great high priest who not only sympathizes with my weaknesses, his compassion means that he is inwardly moved by my distress. That fact draws me to him. So let's continue with some quick video clips of that compassion in action. Next is Luke 7, 12 through 14. As Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Or Mark 6.34, When he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Here is another incident from Matthew twenty, twenty-nine and following. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. In Matthew 14, after hearing that Herod had executed John the baptizer, we read, Now Jesus, when he heard about John, withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. In this example, it appears that Jesus tried to get away by himself to process his thinking and feelings about the execution of his cousin, John the Baptizer. Who knows how this trauma impacted him emotionally, as he must have thought of his future death at the hands of Rome. Yet, tirelessly compassionate, Jesus felt the distress of the sick and stopped to heal them. God himself has come in the flesh and revealed to us what he is really like. 
What we see is not a God whose eternal vision looks right past our human suffering. To the contrary, he not only notices our pain, he is inwardly moved with compassion by our distress. Even though that very distress, by the way, was caused by our race's revolt against his authority. He may not always remove our distress, allowing it only long enough to build our character, but what a joy to know that God's gut reaction to us whenever we are in pain is tender sorrow over our distress. He always feels our hurt with us. Wow. Let's turn to our calling to be compassionate, godly men. The same Greek word that describes Jesus' compassion, splanchnizomai, is also used in Jesus' teaching about what it means to love our neighbors. This fact is striking to me because this Greek word, being inwardly moved with compassion, is about feelings, which men are notoriously bad at. I know it's not politically correct to say it, but there is a big difference between estrogen and testosterone, and testosterone is not exactly known for producing compassion. Yet there is no denying that Christ-like compassion begins with feeling inwardly moved by another's distress. Let's look at the classic teaching of Jesus on loving our neighbor because we feel inwardly moved with compassion. From Luke 10, 29 through 37. But he, the lawyer, often translated scribe, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's look in this text at a danger to avoid and then an example to follow. The lawyer who asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, was asking the wrong question. If he were sincere, he would have asked not who is my neighbor, but how do I love my neighbor? The lawyer's question was an attempt to limit his responsibility to love. Jesus saw the hard-hearted, self-centered attitude of the lawyer. So he held up a mirror for the lawyer to see himself in two examples of uncaring, self-centered preoccupation, the priest and the Levite. Now, I suspect that 99% of us who read this parable are confident that unlike the priest and Levite, we would have stopped to help. That may be because we don't know what Jesus' hearers knew about the Jerusalem to Jericho road, which was notoriously dangerous. 
It was extremely steep, virtually uninhabited, and contained sharp bends marked by limestone cliffs and gullies on both sides. Travelers were easy prey for thieves. Furthermore, bandits were in the habit of using decoys. One of their number would act the part of a wounded man. And when some unsuspecting traveler would stoop over him, the others would rush upon him and overpower him. The truth is that it was easy to just assume the man was dead and not risk stopping to find out, especially for a priest and Levite who were forbidden from touching a dead body. Dr. Kistemaker, in his book, The Parable of Jesus, explains the priests and presumably Levite were on their way home from temple service in Jerusalem. By law, they were not allowed to touch a corpse. Should they transgress the injunction, they would inconvenience themselves socially by being unclean, financially by paying burial costs, and professionally by being barred from priestly and Levitical services. The priest and Levite demonstrate two opposites of having compassion. They are, number one, self-preoccupation, being so self-absorbed that we don't notice the needs of others. And number two, being hard-hearted. We notice, but we just don't care enough to do anything. God convinced me severely of this attitude in my heart this past Wednesday concerning brothers and sisters in Christ who are in New York City. I live in Maryland, so New York City is closer than Washington State or California or New Orleans or Chicago. I saw the image of a refrigerator semi at the loading dock of a hospital in Queens where dead bodies from the coronavirus were being stacked because the morgue was full. And wow, that went to my heart. Of course, my wife and I have been praying for the country about the virus, but I thought, How can you be satisfied to throw up a few prayers a few minutes a day when your brothers and sisters are working 16-hour days as nurses and doctors, putting their lives at risk while some of their loved ones are dying? How can you not be interceding for them much, much more? How can you not be lifting up all of the churches and believers in New York City right now? That night, for me, I downloaded a list of our denomination's churches in New York, the metro area, prayed for their elders and members, the pastors and the pastor's wives by name. Just illustrating, though, something small from my life that was a striking revelation to me before I worked on this lesson of my own self-preoccupation and absorption. How easy, how unlike Jesus to look right past the distress and misery of so many others. Compassion is tender sorrow for one in distress or misery, along with an urgent desire to give aid. What about an example to follow? Well, of course, the example of the Good Samaritan's compassion is well worth hours of meditation. Here are just three takeaways. Number one, we must have compassion even when another's suffering might be his own fault. Now, I know this is just a parable, but the traveler in the story was likely foolhardy and reckless. People in Jesus' day seldom attempted to travel the Jerusalem to Jericho road alone, especially if they were carrying goods or valuables. How easy it might have been for the priest or Levite to think, this fool got what he deserved. 
maybe even quoting Proverbs 10.21 to himself, fools die for lack of sense. We are not called to enable dysfunctional behavior or rescue others from the painful consequences of bad choices, but Christians, above all others, must be full of mercy, giving unmerited compassion to anyone in our path who suffers. Number two, compassion can never be limited to insiders. The fact that a Samaritan was the hero of this story was not lost on Jesus' Jewish audience. By making the Samaritan the one who kept the moral law, Jesus deliberately provoked the xenophobic anger of his fellow Jews. New Testament scholar Simon Kistemaker writes, The Jew lived in a circular world. At the center was himself, surrounded by his immediate relatives, then his kinsmen, and finally the circle of all those who claimed Jewish descent and who were converts to Judaism. The word neighbor has a reciprocal meaning. He is a brother to me and I to him. Thus, the circle is one of self-interest. The lines were carefully drawn to ensure the well-being of those who were inside and to deny help from those who were outside. Today's Christians, especially those who are part of the majority culture, must strenuously press each other to be compassionate to their particular culture's outsiders. Kistemaker continues, The parable is not a story of someone who did a good deed as if he were a member of the Boy Scouts. It is an indictment against anyone who has raised protective barriers in order to live a sheltered life. Love your neighbor as yourself is a command that reaches out beyond the circle of friends and fellow Christians we meet on a regular basis. It is a call to show mercy to all the unfortunate people lying beside the Jericho Road of human life. Number three, compassion starts with feelings, but results in action. I said earlier that two opposites of compassion are self-preoccupation and hard-heartedness. A third opposite I would call self-deception. That is, thinking you're compassionate because you ache for other people in pain, but not actually doing anything about it when you have the chance. No doubt the priest and Levite felt a pang of pity for the bleeding man as they passed him by. In contrast, the Samaritan is a case study in how true compassion results in actual, costly, practical assistance when possible not merely feeling sorry for someone else. What a picture of Christ-like compassion in action. So during this difficult pandemic, may we men keep filling our emotional tanks with Jesus' compassion for our distress of every kind. And may we renew our commitment to lead our homes and churches well with compassionate hearts, both feeling the distress of those around us and doing what we can about it. To summarize, this episode was a study of compassion, one of the most attractive attributes of God, and an aspect of character that Christian men need to display in their leadership of others. We saw that compassion is, quote, tender sorrow for one in distress or misery, along with an urgent desire to give aid. We examined numerous instances of Jesus' compassion being lived out during his three-year ministry, 
and then turn to his parable of the Good Samaritan. This short 143-word story from the master storyteller calls us to a love for a neighbor that is full of compassion. For further prayerful thought, number one, how does thinking about Jesus' compassionate nature affect your walk with him? Two, how can you avoid the opposite of compassion, being so preoccupied with ourselves that we walk right past hurting people? Number three, what can you learn about compassion from the practical steps the Samaritan took to care for the wounded traveler? Next week, we begin an April series entitled Stable Leadership in Uncertain Times. We will begin to see how applying the broader biblical perspective to our times can provide that stability. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives.